All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Rise of an Entrepreneur. Today, we have a special guest. And the reason why I say it's a special guest is because of somebody I actually admire, somebody that I'm a fan of because they are in the sport that I've been following for years. Their resume is incredible. I'm going to read some things that this person has achieved and done before I announce their name. They're two-time IBJF Nogi M1, M2 world champion. They're Nogi M2 Pan Am second place, undefeated pro MMA fighter, D2 NCAA wrestler, BJJ black belt, uh, reality fighting bantamweight champion, state of Connecticut uh, champion. This person is an absolute animal. He has an ambition and mission to go in and inspire the world, to make the world a better place through his wisdom, through his experiences. Please help me welcome Jeff Haddad. How you doing? I am fantastic, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I am fascinated by the things that you have accomplished. You know, you have made a difference in your town. You have made a difference in the state of Connecticut. And the things that you do for just the kids and the, the sport of MMA is really drives me to continue to look for ways to improve in my life. So I want to say thank you. Thank you, and uh, likewise. Thank you. Jeff, uh, you know, I a lot of audiences, you know, don't know your story, but everybody knows who you are, right? It's kind, it's kind of tricky. Like, everybody knows who Jeff Haddad is, but no one knows the true story of where does Jeff Haddad come from, what type of family dynamic you grew up with. So tell me about your upbringing, yeah, I don't tend to share that very much. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think I had um, a pretty good upbringing for the most part. I had a really, really loving mom uh, who was uh, just incredible. She worked really hard. She she raised three kids, worked two to three jobs all the time, single mom. Um, I was actually listening to your story at one point. And you yeah. talked about how when you were in the refugee camp, you, you didn't know. Yeah. Uh, what you were in, like right. you just felt love. And I, I heard your story about uh, Christmas or it was a birthday yep. where birthday, you're yep. still smiling ear to ear. Yep. I never felt, um, for a while, I never felt anything other than that. I never understood uh, anything else. Uh, as I got a little older, I started to realize that I had some things that were in my life that weren't ideal, uh, but they weren't as bad as some other people's and they weren't as good as others. Uh, and so some of my story, I had a, my dad was a drug addict great guy, uh, but got caught up in the world of drugs and really suffered from that and was not in my life for the majority of my life. I had a great stepfather enter my life when I was around 10, which mm. was a huge change in, in my life. Obviously, I fought that at first as a young guy, wow. uh, but after that, I, we really became close. So I, I kind of feel like there was this uh, intro in my life where I all I knew was love, and then as I got a little older, I realized that things were a little different than other families, but it didn't really impact me. I didn't think now that I'm older, I, I reflect a little differently and I do see where some of those things impacted me more than I maybe realized. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't subjected to a ton of harm growing up. Uh, the, the hardest thing going, growing up was the standard getting picked on in school mm. here and there. Uh, you know, not having my dad in my life yeah. impacted me more than I realized. Uh, but at the time I didn't, it didn't register. Right. And then having a, a great stepdad, a, a, a great mom. Um, my brother and sister moved out when I was, um, I don't know, I must have been like 10. So you're, you're the middle child or you're I'm the youngest? youngest? You're the youngest yeah, of all I'm the of youngest. three. 
So uh, all in all, I think I had a pretty good life. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's part perspective too, but there were some things that obviously impacted me and I'm sure we'll dive into down the line. Yeah. And, and I, I might get some, you know, a little bit personal. So That's fine. if you don't feel comfortable asking, just let me know. At what age did you find out that, hey, my dad is not in my life? <laughs> so I think the first moment was, sorry, mom. Uh, <laughs> there was a guy that was when I was, I don't know, maybe four or five that I thought was my dad. Mm. And when I found out he was my dad, it was kind of confusing. Okay. And then I thought my brother's and sister's dad was my dad. Okay. And it, he wasn't. Wow. And that's when I started to realize like, oh, okay, things are a little different. Um, and then, you know, I was, I, I did see my dad for a little while and then we stopped seeing each other due to just things weren't, things didn't feel right. There was things uh, that I was upset about as right. a young guy and he wasn't holding up his end of the the bargain. He forgot about my birthdays all mm -hmm. the time. He forgot about Christmas. He didn't, there was no child support. So he was, you know, he was struggling. And you're realizing this at the age four or five. No, six. well, I mean, the four was the the dad not realizing, right. oh, that's not my dad. Right, right, right. And then, oh, that guy's not my dad. Who's my dad? Wow. And then meeting, you know, meeting my dad and like, oh, I love my dad. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden like, oh, he, he's not a superhero. He, right. He's struggling. And then. Wow. Then that struggle impacted me and our relationship dynamic was a problem. And then I'm like, oh, he's not, my mom's sending me or giving me Christmas stuff and my mom's showing me love, but where's my dad? Wow. And then it became a, a problem where it just really bothered me. And so I decided that it was better off to, to not keep getting let down. Yeah. And so I cut ties with him for a really long time and I had a loving stepdad in my life and my dad was... Still trying to fix parts of himself, I'm sure. And so that was what I, that was my younger childhood. And that went for a long time. So growing up, going to school, you mentioned that you were being picked on, right? Yeah. He, he, the dynamic in the house was not, you know, maybe ideal. You're noticing all these things. What parts of your life is being affected the most growing up in this position? Is it the confidence? Is it confusion is confusion confusion okay. yeah i had two stepbrothers uh, one who was really good to me one who was really mean to me and um when i was in fourth grade i got picked on really 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 bad and then i would get picked on here i was a smaller guy so i'd get picked on here and there in, in middle school but not much i actually ended up being fairly popular mm. high school i got picked on here and there a little bit but the confusion was um you know, I'm being, well, I had a lot of energy, so I'm sure that turned people off and bothered people. Yep. Um, but I was confused on like, what's enough energy? What's not enough energy? Why does so-and-so not like me? Why am I getting picked on? Why does my stepbrother like? So yeah. I would say confusion um, was, was probably the biggest thing. And at what point did you start to get clarity? Well, my real brother was the kindest human ever. Uh, he was such a, a gentle human. And so oftentimes I'd reflect, uh, on his behavior. And so I started, I'd say maybe around 12 and 13, I started to see how he conducted himself, which was really is special. Is this somebody telling you to do that? Or this is awareness that you have developed to say, you know what? My brother has, you know, amazing heart. I'm just going to pay attention to what he's doing. I'm going to kind of learn from that. I think it's a mixture of both mixture at of both, that right. younger age. You're probably not as perceptive. And then as you get older, you start to develop that a little bit more. But I think my brother was, was, I had, I think it's all perspective because I look back and I think my mom was amazing. She was super motivated, super driven, very organized. Mm -hmm. uh, she was very clear on her boundaries. 
Uh, my brother was very gentle, loving, creative. And so those two things were kind of impacting me. I was paying attention to. And then I ended up having a really, really, really impactful mentor uh, at rat around 13. Okay. And that absolutely changed my life. And is that Shirzad Amari? That is Shirzad Amari. Okay. Tell me the impact that he had on your life. How did you meet? You know, what exactly did he carry that made you trust him? <laughs> uh, well, he was my science teacher. Wow. And I had no idea he was a multiple-time world champion, and I had no idea he was uh, a multiple-time national champion. He's actually about to be inducted into the uh, Wrestling Hall of Fame Interesting. in 2025. So I had no idea how great he was. 20-time world champion. Yes. Like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, I mean, when you talk about someone who is elite at the top for, for decades, um, that was my coach. Yeah. I had no idea. He was just my, my science teacher. At that age... Are you already doing MMA? Are you already doing wrestling? Are you doing anything at all? <laughs> I was a very active ath uh, kid. I, uh -huh. My mom, I played sports, every sport since like four years old. Wow. I never stopped. My mom, every season had me in a sport, which was brilliant on her right, end. Um, right. To keep you busy out keep, of trouble. Correct. Yeah. And um, I was getting in lots of scraps. Mm. Uh, I was, I mean, I, I didn't, I grew up, I grew up not having a ton of money, you know, a yep. single mom, three yep. kids. I wasn't. There definitely wasn't a lot of money running around. So I was, you know, kind of a scrappy little kid. Uh, I was getting in a lot of fights. I hated being disrespected. I hated when people disrespected other people. Yes. Uh, and I, for whatever reason, felt like it was my job to stop that. Um, and then I was getting in fights in high school. And my teacher was like, you know, why don't you come out to wrestle? Shazad. And I was like, I'm going to play basketball. <laughs> he said I was too small, too short. And I keep getting in fights and I'm getting, getting suspended. So wow. What are you? Why aren't you wrestling? And I thought to myself, "Here's this five foot four little monkey looking guy. Yeah, like, yeah. there's what is he gonna tell me?" And he was like, "You know, come out to wrestle." And I was like, "I don't need to wrestle." And he's like, "If you beat me, then don't don't worry, don't come out and wrestle." And I was like, "All right, let's do this." <laughs> At that point, you don't know he's a world. Champion. I had no idea. Had wow. no idea. And then he absolutely destroyed me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the rest is history. Wow. So, Shirzad Amari tells you about wrestling. Yep. Tells you, if you beat me, don't do it. But if I beat you, you can come and do it. Yeah. Now, I have done wrestling. Okay, I made varsity my freshman year. Love the sport. I think it's one of the most disciplined, the hardest sports there is. Knowing someone like you who was free-wheeled, who had a lot of energy, how did you adapt to listening to Shirzad and actually learning to be a mentee and having such a great mentor to follow direction and be coachable? really interesting question because I was very strong-willed I listened to a lot of music at that age that was very much about being independent and, and kind of creating your own destiny mm -hmm. and um, I I just said this to a kid yesterday we have a kid who's a part of our gym who's from uh, under the DCF care and he's very similar and he told him told me yesterday like I just want to be free and so but he's fighting everything mm. and I told him you're never going to be free if all you do is fight everything and so I think there was this this kind of slow maturation where I realized like the things that I want, freedom, independence, happiness, those come at a price. And so the price to pay is to follow someone who's already done it. Wow. And so I started to realize that my coach Shazad has those things. And then all the guys he's surrounded by have those things. I mean, my coaches were 
Anibal Nieves, who's an Olympian. Uh, Shazad Amadi is a multiple-time world champion. John Knapp created one of the best wrestling uh, programs in Connecticut. So I'm constantly surrounded by these guys who've achieved greatness. And I started to realize, like, who am I to think I'm going to yeah. do this on my own? I got to copy their blueprint. And so slowly changed how I saw the world and how I operated and just kind of let their lessons uh, become roadmaps for me. I always say one is too small of a number to achieve greatness. Absolutely. You know, any great athlete, they always have somebody in their corner telling them what to do, how to do it, give them the support. You know, sometimes our flame, you know, gets smaller, but we need that person to be able to put gasoline and ignite us to yeah. go after more. So that's amazing. Now, do you still have a relationship right now with Shirzad? You still in communication with him? I just texted him yesterday for a recipe that he makes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. okay. okay. Love the guy. I love that. I love that. And what would you say after years upon years of having that relationship with your mentor, how do you keep that relationship healthy? Well, I will say that I'm probably not the best at uh, staying in contact with people. I, I get super obsessive about the circle I'm in. Mm. Uh, but I mean, having developed a decade's worth of, of hard work together, he's seen me at my highest and at my lowest. It's just easy to, to keep that, that relationship maintained. One of the things that I've been doing more of now that uh, my gym has grown and I have more flexibility is I take my younger guys up to see him I so they it. can kind of see what I got to see and they can see what it looks like to, to be at the top of the game. And they, they had a lot of my guys don't know my story either. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't often share. So for them, they kind of like, oh, this is how he got inspired. Yeah. This is the guy that that kind of created uh, the, the, the Jeff that I know today. I love that. Is there a moment in the training or when you met Sherzad that made you drop your guard? Because you came from a background where you were bullied, where you were just getting into scraps. You know, your dad left you at an early age. There's a lot of confusion. So I'm sure there's a wall. Oh, yeah. Right? So Still working what, on it. Yeah. <laughs> so at what point did you say, you know what? He did something or he said something or he showed me something for that wall to get smaller. I think it took time. And okay. that was, for me, uh, just being fully transparent, I definitely, that's something like from a, from a personal growth standpoint, that's something that's always been probably my worst um, feature of my, of my personality is the wall that I, I've created. And he's also fairly similar. So seeing that in him and realizing uh, that, oh, I'm not the only one like this and that he's still working through those things and he's still trying to get better in that way. Yeah. That was huge. And then also just the amount of, of time he put into me and realizing like he's not going to leave me, right? Like not to sound too sad, but it's like, you know, your dad is not in your life. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. think he will be, right? And yeah. so you have this like, is he like my dad left, my brother and sister moved out. So it was like the people that I love, they're, they're gone. So you're like, is he going to leave too? Right. But then I realized like, nah, this dude is, is ride or die forever. Wow. And then when I started to realize that, I was like, oh, if he told me to run through a wall, then I'm going to run through that wall because this dude is all he wants is success for me. Why do you think he chose you? Like, what what did you have? I mean, there's hundreds of students. Yeah. There's other wrestlers on the team. But why did he choose Jeff Haddad? And what did he see in you at that moment to say, you are going to be the one? Well, I'll just repeat what he said to me instead of me okay. speculating because I feel weird speculating about yeah, that. Yeah. But he told me that he saw an, an insane amount of, of ambition. Uh, he saw that I was extremely driven and that 
you know, if I were getting in fights and I was super undersized, there was something about me that was not afraid to take on challenges. Uh, he said that I was really smart. Yeah. Um, and he said, it you have to be smart to be successful. Um, hard work isn't going to be the only thing that gets you there. And just things like that, that, um, he said, I just stood out even though I like, even though I w was probably hard to deal with a little bit, especially in high school. Yeah. He said there was something that just really stood out to him that he knew if he put his time into me that things would work out. And so I'm very thankful for that because I didn't see what he saw. I, I didn't doubt myself. I'm not one of those people who always thought, oh, I'm not capable. I believed I was capable, but I didn't. The way I thought I was going to get to where I wanted to go definitely was not going to work. Wow. And so having him kind of show me that blueprint was huge. You know, we, we have 115 people here. And a lot of people come from different backgrounds. There's no experience in sales. And I have a habit. And my habit is that I don't, like everybody wants to hear, I believe in you. Everybody wants me to go and tell them, okay, you're going to make it. You're going to have no problem, you know, making six figures. You have the talent. You have the ambition. I don't do that. Good. But I only, yeah, <laughs> I only do that to certain people that I truly believe that they have shown me that, Right. When you have your students right now, do you have that instinct that it kind of triggers that this is the one? Or do you have not de developed that yet? Oh, absolutely. I've, I've oh, yeah. developed that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I was fortunate to be surrounded by just insanely successful guys uh, from 13 and up. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I just, it, it's incredible to re reflect as an, uh, an adult now. I mean, Rodney Smith was a coach of mine placed in the Olympics. Like, I was just, insanely fortunate uh in that scenario but to have that upbringing and so i was able to develop that at a younger age but also trial and error i've coached for such a long time that you know there's you want everyone to be successful yeah yeah but you start to realize you have a very limited amount of bandwidth as a as a mentor right. or as a coach that you can give and so i am now in a scenario where i have hundreds of students mm -hmm. and I can't save all of them right. and I can't, and not all of them, unfortunately are going to be successful. Right. So now what it becomes is this, this kind of network where they work themselves up to that time. And I will recognize it as they kind of rise to the top. Yeah. Now I try to show everyone um, support and love and all those things yeah. because that's what they're there for. But if they want to be great and they want to take it to the next level, well, you got to show me you can do that. And I'll help you. I just right. said this the other day. I might tell you one or two or three times how to get there. But if you don't, if after two or three times you're not figuring it out, yeah. I'm not talking to you about it anymore. I'll yeah. talk to you about it again if you show me that you're yeah, getting yeah. there. But uh, I, I can't waste my time. My time is very limited and you know, time is value, right? There's yeah, a lot exactly. of value in your time. I'm, I can't give it to everybody. And so developing that eye and realizing that it's that this is a very limited commodity. Yeah. I got to give it to the right people. Um, and I'm still working on that. I'm sure you are. You I still start trying to figure it out. And there are yes. lots of things you can do, right? Personality, personality characteristics yes. are going to shine. There's predictors in regards to, okay, if this person is, um, you know, maybe they look disheveled, but when you talk to them, there's a fire in their yeah. eyes, then you know you can maybe help that person. Right. Or maybe it's the opposite. They're really dressed well, but their their actions don't speak well. Exactly. Their, their, their character does not align with that. Yeah, well, then I'm not yeah. going to give you that time. So learning how to find those things yeah. is, is important. I just want to recap something you said. You said, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase here. 
to how I understood it. You give everybody the general recipe, the yes. love, the support, the you know, the respect, you know, the commitment as a coach. But there's a secret ingredient that Jeff Haddad has. And that secret ingredient can only be earned. Yes. Right? I always say to people, don't work with those that need it because everybody needs it. Work with those that have earned it. Right. Right? Because everybody comes to your gym, everybody knows who you are, everybody knows you're a world champion, you're undefeated MMA fighter. They want your time. They want your energy. They like you're this high source of energy that can charge up a lot of people. But the question is, are you charging the wrong ones where you could be giving the same amount of energy to the right ones? So I love that you have that mindset of where there's a level of fairness, but there's also a level of go earn it. So that way I can spend more time with you. So. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. My coaches were um, very similar. And I realized through, I think one thing, and if, if anyone ever listens to this, is if you can be perceptive and watch those around you who are successful, try to pick up on the, the traits, maybe even the things that they don't talk about. But one of the things I noticed was, and I think it's pretty clear, anybody who's played sports will realize, well, so-and-so is getting more attention than the other person. Yeah. And so being that I started wrestling later than most kids, that I was, so I was training with, guys who were much, much better than I was because they started earlier than right, I did. Right. And they were getting more attention than I was. And the question was, how do I get there? The coaches, like, what can I do to be that guy? Yeah. And so I started to realize, like, you know, it's going to be commitments, passion, work ethic. All the, the, the obvious things are going to start to give you that attention. So I started to work that way. And then I realized, like, oh, the coaches are looking for the people who earn it. And same with, you know, sales or jobs or yeah. whatever. It doesn't matter what industry. Any type of mentorship. Any industry. This is, to me, kind of obvious. But success, the, the blueprint of success is generally the same no matter what industry you're in. Obviously, right. you have to tailor it for specific industries. But the blueprint itself is applicable anywhere. I love it. And so, you know, I just paid attention to my coaches and what they did and then tried to implement it myself. You're an undefeated um, MMA fighter, right? You competed at the highest level possible. And I compare this a lot to entrepreneurship. And you're an entrepreneur yourself. You have your own gym that you open. So I want to ask you a question that a lot of people that come to work with me, they confuse this because they're like, I don't understand. Like, do you not have a life, Albert? Like, you're always all about the business. You're always all about getting things done. So, like, to me, the best entrepreneurs are the ones that align themselves with principles of success and they mix it with their identity it becomes their lifestyle it becomes who they are they live it so as a professional fighter as somebody that's a mixed martial artist do you live that only monday through friday and then saturday sunday you get drunk at the bar and you party or this is part of who you are throughout 24 7 this is 24 7 24 7 right <laughs> okay good and would you say that applies to anything that you want to be successful at or this is just us crazy ones that, that believe in that? From all my research, I read a lot. I listen yeah. to a lot of podcasts. I've, uh, I don't, I didn't own a TV for like eight or 10 years. Now um, you do. Yeah, now I do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, from what I've noticed, it's 24 seven for oh, everyone. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, because it, being successful is not a destination. It's right. a lifestyle. It's who. It's how you live your life. Agree. And same with happiness. You choose to do these things. Yeah. You choose to be those things. And so, wow. 
I think it's 24 seven. Uh, you know, I, as a younger guy, I actually have my master's. Uh, I went to graduate school and stuff. And, I, you know, I, at that age, I did party and I, I drank and stuff. But mm-hmm. I started to realize there was a time when those decisions, were like, where are we going next and how far can we yeah. go? Yeah. And I started to realize that you can't be part-time if you want to be successful. You can't Love be. It. And so I started to buy in 100%. I was um, 18 years old. I started reading books like the four hour work week, I think was like yeah. the first book I Tim read. Ferriss, I Tim think. Ferriss. Yeah. 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 And that kind of started some, something. And then I started learning about learning. So learning models were really big to me, frame learning frameworks. And once I started digging deeper and starting to really look at some of the Titans of the industry, different industries, that mm-hmm. was something I really looked at too, is like different people in different industries and how they're successful. None of them did it part-time. Every single one of them, this is their life. This is how they live. And so it doesn't feel like people are like, oh, does it feel overwhelming? Mm. No, because this is what I do 24-7. I I don't even look at it as like overwhelming. You know, I do 16-hour days, you know, and you see me. I am involved father, right? I'm there with my kids. Incredibly involved. Yeah, while they're practicing, I'm still working. I'm, I'm on my laptop. I'm doing what I need to do. Um but people are like, don't you get tired? Like, Albert, you you made seven figures. You have a successful company. You have other businesses. Why don't you just retire? Why don't you just go to the beach somewhere? I don't see it as work. I see it as a mission. I see it as every day I'm making an impact to make somebody else's life better. I know for you, you show up to the gym. There's a difference when Jeff is in the gym and Jeff is not in the gym. Kids are more sh- like disciplined. Kids are more happy. Kids want to be around you. And I notice the energy shift when Jeff is in there or not in there. So, like, do you ever think about if you don't show up, how many people don't get the impact that you provide? Yeah, all the time. It's super frustrating that I can't replicate myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, that's like from, from a business owner standpoint, we just had a, a coaches meeting the other day, and that was kind of one of the discussions we had is, like, bringing that energy, trying to make sure that, Everyone as a coach is consistently delivering that kind yeah. of that energy, the the expectations of yes. the, the kids. So there's consistency there. The standard. Yeah, the standard. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, it is really hard to be away, but I can only, you know, I'm traveling so much with yeah. coaching and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and I can relate to that because I have 11 executives here that we are close circle, a lot of mentorship, a lot of training. And the goal is to be able to duplicate, right, all the knowledge, wisdom, experience, you know, the way I make decisions, the way I look at things to them. And as much as you want to do that, you know, it's only one Jeff Haddad. There's only one Albert Shekinsarov. But there's always going to be somebody that's going to say, yeah, at least I want to learn. At least I want to be able to bring the same enthusiasm to the work that you bring in. Now, do you think people don't have that enthusiasm because they're not the business owners? Or is it because they don't love what they do? I think it's a really difficult question to answer. Obviously, each person is going to have different different things. But I would say, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, I I can't tell you why I'm so passionate about what I do. It's just been, I've been a passionate person. I was, when I played football, I was creating plays when I was, my stepdad still laughs. He's like, dude, you're in your bedroom creating plays and like, this is all you, you've always been this way about things you, you, uh, love. And so I can't answer that. All I 
can say is if you lead by example, the people that want to have that, yeah. they're going to they're gonna get there. So when I was an employee of another company, I was as passionate as I was a business owner. It didn't matter if it was my business or not. It was what I was doing. And to me, I was working with people. And those people relied on my expertise to get them from point A to point B. And seeing their story uncover drove me insanely. Like, okay, this guy had no car, no license. He lived in a you know broken home. Today he has a car, he has a license. He lives in, in his own home. He, he's safe, he's happy, he's eating better. That drove me insanely. Didn't matter if I owned a business or not. So a lot of people, you know, this podcast is called Rise of Entrepreneur. A lot of people think that you have to own something to add value. You could add value no matter where you are. That's how I believe it. 100%. I, I, we have a lot of coaches at the gym. Um, and they're all passionate people. And it just shows itself in different ways. But yeah. um, I agree 100%. Like... The, <laughs> If you are a truly passionate person, it does. If you're washing the floor, you're going to wash the floor well. If you're going to, whatever you do, you're going to do it with passion. You're yes. going to do it with purpose. And so if you don't do it that way, it doesn't mean you don't have it. But um, maybe you haven't, unco you haven't uncovered, uncovered it. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's why I said earlier, just leading by example to tie everything we were just saying together. I'm going to try to get you there. I'm right. going to talk to you one, two, three times to try to give you that blueprint. And if you can't do it, then that's okay. But I'm not you're not getting my time as much yeah, now. And yeah. so maybe you'll figure it out down the line. Maybe there's things in your life that are getting in the way that are clouding your vision. Yeah. But yeah. Yesterday I had a meeting here and 11 guys came in and I'm like, okay, 2024, you guys were supposed to do this before, but I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to do this now. Send me an email saying, how can I be more helpful to you? How can I mentor you better? What can I show you? What can I do more of? Where do you need me in which area? And one guy sends me an email at 11 o'clock at night and says, hey, after thinking deeply about this, there's nothing you can do for me because you have done everything. Thank you. To me, that's a loss of an opportunity, right? Because I think no matter how much someone has done for you, you could, if you're not where you want to be, there's a level of improvement that needs to happen, Right. I think everybody needs to be able to find a way to extract more from the people that have what they want, right? If your coaches say, I want to be like Jeff, I want to be as successful as he is, and you were to say to them, tell me what you need from me, and they said to you, Jeff, you've done enough. No, you know, Thank you for offering, but no thank you. I'm all set. Do you think that person has a stagnant mindset that they don't believe that they can grow? Or do you think that there's something else there that's stopping them from asking for help? I would go with the latter. There's something there stopping them. There's I, something stopping them. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to, I don't know the person, but it, yeah. to me it's almost like a quitter's mindset. Yeah. Uh, because if you're offering, I mean, if you're offering to grow as a coach and say, hey, what can I do better? And yeah, they yeah. say nothing. Well, yeah, then yeah. we're <laughs> Something's uh, yeah, not matching yeah. up here. I don't know about you, but like, if I had to just assume the way you would think, if Shirzat sent you a text message now and said, Jeff, you're already successful. You already know everything you know. Is there something I can do to help you be more? I'm sure you'd be like, yeah, meet with some of my students. Yeah, you know, let, let's go have lunch. I want to pick your brain. I have this idea. You would probably try to still extract something from him 
even though you know him for 20 plus years. Yeah, I would ask him what he thinks my, my greatest weakness is still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would probably be the, the first thing that comes to my mind always when someone, when I'm asking for, I, I like when my coaches critique me. I let, well, I mean, I don't like it, but I, yeah, I, I yeah. like it. Um, yeah. I want to know what are, where my weaknesses are. So if I, if my, like, if my coach is like, hey, what can I do to help move you? I'm going to say, what do you see in me that's still yeah. not developed? Stopping me, yeah. 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 Wow. Because I want to identify what stops people from asking for help. Ego, pride. It's just that they are afraid to look, you know, uh, stupid or because they think they're going to look weak. What do you think is stopping people from being open and saying, you know what, I truly need help in that area? I watched your interview with, I believe her name was Samantha, Samantha yeah. Peters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think about someone like her who experienced a ton of trauma. Yeah. And I think some, you named things that I agree with. So yes to all the things you said, but also... Uh, sometimes traumatic upbringings where people t are afraid to ask because they've been shot down so many wow. times. Uh, that's been a big change for me lately is just realizing that a lot of the, the times that I've either been hard on someone or I'm like frustrated that someone's not doing the things they want to, that they say they want to do. Mm -hmm. It's generally to me, probably uh, I always not always in the last few years been saying it's a value problem. They don't value themselves enough. Self-conception. Yeah. And so they they don't believe either they're worthy of asking the question, that they can complete the task once they get the answer, whatever it is, it's here. There's wow. something inside of them that they don't believe in themselves enough to do that. I am not worthy enough to receive the help that I don't deserve. Correct. Wow. Or even if they are willing to take the risk to ask the question, they're not capable of executing. They don't believe they're capable of executing. I'm not saying that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, yesterday during dinner, my son shared uh, a story during the class. He said, Coach Jeff was going around and asking, what's your superpower? What's your superpower? And I said, killing. <laughs> and I was like, what? He goes, I said, killing. And I said, why'd you say that? He goes, well, everybody was saying flying. But then <laughs> I remember our conversation that, and you talked about lion and tiger, how you have to have that killer instinct, how you have to go out there and know when to do the double leg, when to go and, you know, uh, sprawl. You have to have that killer instinct. So I don't, I think I have it. So I want that superpower to know when to have that killer instinct. That's why I said killing. And I said, wow, I, I only wonder how it sounded in the class. It must have been crazy. <laughs> it was but, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but th that brings me to my next question. I feel... And correct me if I'm wrong. I watch your fights. Yeah. I watch you walking down the cage. I watch your, I believe it was Cotito fight. Yeah. If I'm not saying the name right, correct. Yeah. yeah, okay. And you walked, and that was your fight. You you had three years off. Yeah, and two shoulder surgeries. And two shoulder surgeries. You walked in in that fight like you were going to kill him. Yeah. Your eyes, like, I'm viewing this from YouTube. I'm watching this. Your eyes are on fire. Like, I'm getting warm watching it. Like, I'm like, wow. That's not the same nice, friendly Coach Jeff that I know in the gym that has kids on his back. That Coach Jeff is a killer. Yeah. So you had this, like, almost aura on you as you walked in, and you're just staring him down, and you're breathing, and you're just not, like, letting your eyes off his eyes. And I'm like... This man has a mindset of kill or be killed. 100%. You're making, my heart rate's probably went up like 30, 40 beats just now. That's crazy. 
To, like I was watching that video and I was like just getting like, yeah, the, 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 look, look at that. Like, that's insane. That's the look I'm talking about. Kill or be killed. That's the mindset that you have. Yeah. How, how do you tap into that? Um, you miss this, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could tell. You're like, oh. Um. Wow. Yeah, that got me fired up. Um, I think, so, I guess we'll get a little deep on this. What I, some of my energy, I think, was anger growing up. And I realized that that could be a very powerful tool. Mm. And I think it served me really well for a long time. Okay. I don't think it serves me very well anymore, but I think it served me really well. Um, for example, when I started to wrestle, I realized the more intense I could be, the more focused I could be, the more I could shut off the world and shut off my emotions, shut off physical pain, shut off all of that, the better yeah. I could do. Yeah. And so it fed that and it kept feeding that and I kept getting better and I kept doing better. And what happened was I started to get consumed with it. And my mom started to say when I was like 17 to 24, like I lost my son. I lost the loving, gentle kid that you used to be. And now you're cold, you're rough, you're, you're just distant all the yeah. time. Yeah. And um, wow. so for me, that was a, a place of refuge. It was a place where I could go and nothing impacted me. I was an emotion. There was no emotion. There was no stress. It was, there was just my place to escape. So when we talked about that wall, I built that wall. I built that wall so I didn't feel pain. And I don't mean physical pain, emotional pain. I didn't feel physical yeah. pain. I didn't feel emotional pain. I could use this dissociative mental place to go to stay away from anything that bothered me. Well, how do you go there? Well, so it was a learned thing where over time I started to realize how do I, like, I can get there. And, like, how do I mentally get there? What's mm -hmm. the trick to getting yeah. there? Um, it's Especially hard to, in the world we live in social media distraction yeah people always flauntering things people always want to get you know praise for something they want to get validation it seems like you completely distance yourself from the entire world and you are in your own bubble you are in a zone in a flow state yeah flow state yeah uh, we have a sports psych uh, coach that we deal with named eric manuel and he talks a lot about being in a flow state the way I got there, I think it was a learn, you know, first you can only get there one way. And for me, it was like listening to heavy music and get it like thinking about really horrible things. And that got me there. And then as I got better, it would be like I could get there with um, it could be anything. It could be that I just was like goal oriented. Boom, I'm in the mindset or they're trying to take this from me. Boom, I'm in the mindset or it's I'm. I want to feel like a warrior. Boom, I'm in the mindset. Whatever it is, I just could get myself there and I had different ways to get there. Yeah. Now that I've been doing it for so long, like out at the World Championship, it doesn't even, I don't have, I just, it's time. Wow. I don't even have to think about it anymore. I'm a big fan of Kobe Bryant. Um, and Kobe has this thing, Black Mamba, mm -hmm. right? So when he plays, he turns a switch that becomes Black Mamba, right? Do you have that? I would say a second personality that you tapped into. Yeah, I, there was a, a lyric that I used to really like, um, and it's—I'm paraphrasing—but it's like "Send your greatest Spartan 
I will survive. Like yeah. my idea was it doesn't matter who you put in front of me, what the circumstances, what the challenge is. Give me the, I want it all. I want yeah. all the smoke. I want everything wow. you can give me. And I guarantee 100% I'm going to tear you apart. Wow. Wow. Now, do you think you're born with that or that was developed? Having coached thousands of people over the years, um, I think some people are born with it and they don't know and you can pull it out of them. Uh, I think some people just don't have it. And then some people, they can access it really easily. Can you develop that if you don't have it? I can't say no because maybe I wasn't the right coach for them. Mm. I don't know. Uh, but with my experience, they're just some, I don't know. So That's I went to this answer. conference and I was a speaker at this conference. And the guy that was hosting the event, he said, leaders are born, they're not made. And I had to strongly disagree with that because I was somebody who was born in a refugee camp. I got in trouble all my life. I fought, like literally when I lived in Russia, if you didn't fight, then it's not a normal day. It's it's, it's like... It's the Russian way. It's a Russian way. <laughs> and we're fighting not just against the kids, we're fighting against skinheads. Yeah. So I am, you know, nine years old fighting a 16-year-old. And I'm getting my ass kicked, but it didn't matter because as long as you fought, people will give you the respect. Yep. So I, I, I went to juvenile hall. I got suspended 13 times, got expelled. My high school literally told me, my counselor told me, you're never going to amount to anything. You might as well get a job at Walgreens Warehouse, and that would be a big success for you. Right today, I own multiple companies. You know, I achieved a lot of things. I believe that I'm the most successful person out of my high school. And today I make an impact on people's life. I lead people. But I fell in love with the mission because somebody had to lead me first. Somebody showed me what leadership was. I wasn't born with leadership. There's nobody in my family that is a natural leader. There's nobody in my family that, you know, built businesses or was successful. So I think people can be built, right, in terms of being a leader. But can people be built in terms of having that instinct? that mindset of wanting to win or some people just they can't develop that well i guess forgive me does it matter uh if does it matter if we know the answer or not probably not because if we're treating as though everyone can be built that way and we as leaders are good enough at knowing when it's time to step away then it doesn't matter yeah because yeah. it goes back to shizrat yeah he saw something you didn't see right and if he didn't see it maybe we would never have jeff haddad with ascension with changing so many lives yeah that's why when you were talking i was thinking to myself like was it the chicken or the egg you know first yeah, which yeah. and and does does it ultimately what is going to serve people better believing that you can't do it believing that you have to be born with if our stance is that people have to be born with it well then yeah we might not help yeah. people there might be people who get left behind yeah. but if our stance is that's why I said, I don't know. I don't know the answer to yeah. that. How I operate is I treat everybody like they have the potential to do so. I love it. And then we go back to what we were talking about before. I give you one, two, three opportunities to do so. And if you yeah. don't, then you're going to have to get my attention later on by rising to the top. But I, I treat everybody with the... the you still give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know, how do I, I, I... There is a kid in my gym right now. Um, he's underage so i'm not gonna say his name mm. but he came to me crying every practice he was 
an only child, always quitting, quit all the time on the mat and cried. And, you know, mom would text me all the time. He wants to quit. He's fighting me tooth and nail to come. It's becoming a problem in our household. What do I do? And I was thinking maybe this kid's not cut for this. He's one of our killers in the gym now. So who knows? That's amazing. Only when you would trigger that. Yeah. Right? It's like if we could just identify what triggered that kid to go from a quitter to a killer or a winner and and use that secret ingredient, maybe it won't work for everybody. At least we know. Your nickname, the Shredder, was given to you by your friends and training partner. You didn't even choose it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us the story about that. It's not too dynamic. Uh, I play guitar, and so I used to say, like, uh, they're just joking around, be like, you're going to go shred on the guitar. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other part to it was how aggressive I was in training and fighting. And and so they were like, dude, you just shred people. You're just so, like, intense. And so... I asked my wife, because my English is my third language, I said, what is a shredder? Yeah. She goes, shred, like you shred the cheese, <laughs> you shred the paper, yeah. and I'm like, oh, so like crush things. She goes, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I, like bent and weight, shredder, I, I love it. That's like such a, you don't see that. Now, you didn't choose that nickname. No. If you had to choose a nickname, what would you choose? I never thought of that. Never thought of that. <laughs> no. no. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. Wow. Okay. Probably no nickname at all. Now, I want to ask you this question, and, and I think this is like a fan-based question. If you were to return to fighting, right? Let's just say, by the grace of God, something happens, you wake up and you say, I want to return. Dana White calls you and says, we have an opening. Yeah. And you get to choose any opponent to fight against to remember for the rest of your life, to create that legacy fight for you, who would you go against? Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson, wow. Because he's the pound-for-pound greatest. Yeah, wow. When I saw this fight, you reminded me a lot of the movement, the pace of Dominic Cruz. Yeah. Like, has other people compared you to Dominic Cruz? Often. Often, okay. Do you think if you went and fought Demetrius Johnson... How long would you need to take that fight? Like training wise? Training wise. Well, I mean, he's the greatest of all time. I've been out a long time. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I would as long as as soon as I'm in shape. And uh, like you know, you train people for fights, championships. What would you say? Is there like an average timeline that anybody can get in shape? For fighting shape or just in fighting general? Shape. Fighting shape. Fighting shape. Well, fighting shape, more often than not, I've found, takes about a year. A year, Just wow. to get into the shape to be ready to fight. But no, most people aren't ready to fight within a year. So they're in shape to fight within a year, but they're not skill or mentally ready to fight. Wow. I have not come across someone who can step in the cage their first time and not get absolutely bombarded with adrenaline dump so it takes a long time so what are your thoughts on these celebrity fights the logan paul jake paul all these youtubers fighting they don't train you know like most athletes do but they step into the ring they fight and a lot of it is just for show Mm -hmm. right 
But if they were to step in and against somebody that's training for you know a year or so, do you think they they're gonna feel that, or it just depends on your physique, depends on your power punch? Like, is there science to fighting? Science? Yeah. Oh, so much, so much. I mean, it, like any movement, any sport is is comprised of movement and so there's a science uh, behind how you generate power and then mm -hmm. there's the science of your vo2 max i mean we do this all the time i'm a i'm a huge science fan um so we're looking at your vo2 max we're looking at your uh, baseline cardio output what is your ability to recover in between rounds what's your your um you know your resting heart rate like there's so so much i honestly i don't pay attention to uh any of those things. That's the, the celebrity stuff. Um, but, hey, if they're, if they're putting eyes on combat sports, that's great. Um, mm. I, anything that helps grow this yeah. sport, I'm cool with. Um, and any time, I think everyone should get in a fight, at least one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they can learn some stuff about their life and their personality. So if they're bringing the spotlight on fighting and they're getting the experience of getting punched in the face and maybe learning some some stuff about themselves, then. You know, if you were to come back to fighting, right, and you had that fight and you were able to, again, go back into your just true form of just the Spartan that you spoke about, the killer instinct, and you did it, do you think it's addictive? It's the most addictive thing I've ever done. Yeah. Changed my life. I mean, it. yeah, it's so addictive. I mean, just watching that, my heart rate started to... Wow start to pound and like I started my hands started to sweat yeah, my yeah. yeah how did you make the decision to walk away from fighting and competing because you, you you're still in the sport you're still making a difference but how did you make a decision to walk away from fighting professionally because you love that I had four uh, complete shoulder reconstructions um, I need a shoulder replacement at this point so my left shoulder is really, really bad. I have 29 anchors in my shoulders. So um, I just got to the point where I couldn't get through a training camp without dislocating, um, without tearing my labrum over and over again. So, um, yeah, that was really it. I would probably, If I wasn't having shoulder problems, I'd still be competing. And you won the Worlds. For well, jiu-jitsu. For jiu-jitsu. Yeah. With all these issues. Yeah, if you watch the video in my semifinals match when the ref raises my hand, I kind of wince Yeah, uh, because I need to be the one to move my shoulder so I can move it the right way without the arthritis catching and, and getting stuck. Wow. Um, and I have in practice regularly, I my shoulder gets stuck and I have to have it like distracted so the arthritis, the, the bony parts will not be stuck on each other. Wow. Can you imagine how lethal you would be if you didn't have any injuries. I mean, you, you, you're taking the first place in the world with both shoulders being injured. I can only just picture if you had perfect health, no injuries on your shoulders. I mean, you would just be running through people. I think so. I, I, I don't talk about it, you know, online and stuff very much because I don't want to make up any excuses. But, yeah, I, I think that if I were my, – my shoulder – my mom just had a shoulder replacement three weeks ago. I mean, there have been issues in my whole family with the shoulders. My sister has issues. It's just hereditary. Um, but, yeah, I 
can only imagine, you know, this fight alone, I, I tore my shoulder right before this fight. Oh my! I threw a jab in practice uh, right before, the, like maybe four weeks out, and I felt a little tear. And you I, still took the fight? I broke my foot four weeks be- or five weeks before the fight. If you watch in the second round, I, I, I throw a kick, and I, they, they say, oh, I think he broke his foot. I broke my foot again. Because you hit the knee? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I still took the fight. I, I believe in myself that even on my worst day, you won't beat me. What weight is this? One thirty-five. Yeah. So there was a quote I read that says, "How can somebody fight at one thirty-five when their balls alone weigh one forty? <laughs> so, like that's that's the definition of who you are, right? I mean, just that relentless spirit, you know, unbeatable in, in your mind, in your heart, to go out there and compete. I mean, four weeks before the fight, you you get injured, you break your foot in this fight. And you still end up on top. Five and no in professional fighting. Yeah, my third fight, I broke uh, three bones in my face in the first round. That knockout you watched, I yeah, had yeah. three broken bones in my face. Wow. When I'd blow my nose, my cheek would move after the fight. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to be as completely honest as you can be. Do you believe you're lucky? I believe luck is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I believe that it, the recipe for success is often like your work ethic, some form of intelligence, your ability to be coachable. And then there's circumstances that you can't control that have to happen for that, that mix to come together. Yeah. There's a reason why I'm asking this because it seems like you, you're living a double edged sword. You know, 13 years old, you meet Shazrat who introduces the world of wrestling, fighting. You're surrounded by Olympians. You're surrounded by elite-level coaches. You have all these blessings that come in your way. right? You're 5-0, and oh, and now you have two shoulders that are both injured. You're fi- you have so much potential. You have so much drive. You have so much ambition. You have so much more that you could go do, but yet your injuries don't allow you to do so. Like... Are you unlucky or are you lucky? I love my life, so I'm yeah. lucky. Okay. <laughs> I'm cool with it. I mean, it sucks. It, it definitely hurts. To, if I think about it too long, it, it gets frustrating, especially knowing that they're, the biggest goal for me was to be a UFC champion, and yep. that I didn't have that opportunity, so that hurts. But I was able to achieve a lot of my goals, and uh, I learned a lot about myself in the process of dealing with the injuries. I know that I'm not a quitter. I know that I believe in myself. I know that I can get through really, really hard times. Um, you know, going through two shoulder surgeries that are 12 month recoveries each are extreme. That's very difficult. There are people that don't come back from one shoulder surgery. So to get through four and know I have that resolve and uh, that, that, uh, that drive I wouldn't have had that. Maybe I would never have been able to find that out. I don't know. But uh, do you think these injuries are what push you to compete at the worlds? No, no. Oh. I, it made it made competing at worlds even harder. <laughs> really? Wow. It was so hard to get through this training. Because what camp. was going through my mind is like, okay, you can't fight professionally because there's much more injury there. So going into a worlds, you're not taking as much maybe damage. But even then, you can get hurt by. You know, knee lock or different things that can happen. I mean, they could have came more of that arm and it would be horrible. Wow. Um, No, I just want to, I didn't get my UFC goal. 
And so the world, I'd always wanted to be a world champion like my coach. Yeah. That was something that I kind of at like at 16, I knew I wanted to own a gym and I wanted to do what my coach did. We used to talk about owning a gym together and I wanted to be a world champion. That was just, those were two things that I, I have a list of selfish goals and I have a list of selfless goals. Yeah. And my selfish goal, one of them was to be a world champion. So once I stepped away from MMA, that was always still there. And so it was just eating at me for a long time. I took a shot at it. Yeah, well, I won it at purple belt, but that's not black belt. So I took a shot at it in like 2021. I got really sick the week of the tournament with, you know, COVID thing yeah, going yeah. on and whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I just didn't achieve the goal. And um, yeah, I couldn't stop. I, I couldn't stop until wow. I made this happen. You took three years off to come back for this fight. Yeah. Did you know when you were taking time off that you will be back? Yeah. You did. Yeah. That was that was the goal. Mm -hmm. Now you haven't fought in what, eight years? I don't yeah, something like that. Something like that. Any fight that would be presented to you that you would take at all? If my shoulder was healthy. No, right now. No, I, I wouldn't be I can't get through a training camp. You can't even get through the training camp. No, I can't if I throw jabs or hooks, my shoulder is out of commission for a week and a half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like there are days that I, I it, once my cortisone shot wears off, mm. there are days I can't get my arm higher than that. I can't believe you went into Worlds and won first place. But this yeah, I got a cortisone shot uh, like five weeks before just so I could make it to the, wow, make it to it. I'm so gonna, I wasn't training a lot. I wasn't training on the mat. Yeah, yeah. I, trained, I was training one day a week on the mat because that's all my shoulder can handle. And the rest of my work was on the bike and on the rower. So a lot of your... You know, I trained with you once, and I was paying attention to not your movement, but your thought process. Yeah. Your thought process is frameworks. Yes. Right? And that's how I operate. Everything I do is a framework. Everything I do is sales, how to take client from this stage to this stage and keep moving forward till the end. So tell me, how did you develop, you know, your thought process to be able to create frameworks and to be able to not, like Tony Ferguson, he doesn't spar. Right, and people believe that the reason why he loses so many fights now is because he's not sparring. You did not practice a lot on the mat, but yet you're playing this game in your mind where it's almost like jujitsu chess to where you know where the pieces are going to go, and then you're putting it to work. How did you develop that technique? The framework? The framework. So uh, my degree is in occupational therapy, and that is very much a medical world, and talks a lot about, teaches a lot about frameworks. And I also spent a ton of time learning on how to learn. So that was something that was really important to me. Um, I was just going to back up a little bit. It's going to be a long-winded question or answer. I was fighting professionally, wrestling in college, coaching high school, waiting tables, and in grads, you know, and in, in college. So I had a lot on my plate at once. And I looked at my peers and realized they had far less on their plate and they were con they were still struggling to get the grades or they were doing well, either yep. one of them. Yep. And I was like, how can I optimize my time? How can I speed up the learning process? It, it can't simply be just, I look at flashcards and that's how I'm gonna do it. So I spent a lot of time researching how do, can you speed up your learning process? Mm. And then there's all these different frameworks that do that. 
um, Pomodoro techniques and the 20, you know, you have your 20 hour rule or you have the 80, 20 rule. There's so many different ways you can go about learning. And so I was learning all these different frameworks, learning about neurology, which I was in some neuro classes. And then I was learning about medical model frameworks as an occupational therapist. Started to realize that there was this commonality between um, the most successful people and Remember we talked about that I would look at the titans of yeah. each industry. And so I, what I was like trying to do is like how are they using their mental models or their frameworks to be successful? And I realized to me at least it seemed pretty obvious. They were really well schooled in many different frameworks and they understood when to implement different ones and yeah. how what were the benefits and the and the, the, the negatives of these frameworks. So when I was in college – Focusing on my thesis paper, uh, I was my my argument was that you should be a master of all the frameworks and understand how to work in between them and play with them. Wow! And so now owning a business mm -hmm. and kind of competition, I kind of operated the same way. I look at the problems I'm dealing with, and then I try to think of all the different frameworks that I know, and then how can I take one, two, three, four, five of them and apply them and see which ones are going to make the most sense. Or, you know, maybe it's not one framework, maybe it's five together. I don't, yeah, it really yeah. just depends on the problem set I'm dealing with. Um, how do you approach your trainings to ensure you're always on top of your game? I mean, I hit everything. Uh, I'm studying. I always study the best in the world. Uh, so I'm constantly watching video, whether it's, sometimes I'm watching video at 1.5 speed to speed it up so I can get more material. Yep. Uh, sometimes I'm watching it at 0.75 because things are happening so fast that I need to right. see, slow it down. Slow it down. Yep. Yep. I am uh, looking for commonalities in between, like, you know, what's the data? Are guys winning by rear naked choke mm -hmm. more often than arm bars? And if that's the case, let's go down that road. Um, so I do a ton of research and a ton of studying. And then, my training is very similar too. I, I'm isolating things to, and then, then, so I'll really hone in on something and then I'm going to pull all the way back out and I'm going to see how that works in the ecosystem overall and how can I funnel things to that. And then from a gamesman perspective, uh, perspective, I'm constantly looking at how I can funnel you into my game. So how can I constantly make sure you're playing in my world and I'm not playing in yours? Wow. That's interesting. So you're saying, I'm not going to come and play your game. I'm going to bait you in to play my game. Yeah, well, what I would do is like if I, and I, I'm sure this would work in sales. Mm. Well, I don't want to say sure because I'm not sure of yeah. anything, but I think this would work in sales. Uh -huh. Most often as humans, we're going to we're gonna take the path of least resistance mm -hmm. and we're going to do the thing first that we're most comfortable with. Yes. So when I'm competing against you, I'm going to give you things. And the first thing you do is probably the thing you're best at or the thing that you're most comfortable with. Mm. Now you just showed me all your cards. So if I'm watching you on video and I see you do certain things right off the, the bat, then I know what you're going to do. And now what I'm going to try to do is craft my game around that. Like I'm going to not craft my game. I'm going to make sure that when you do what you're doing, my response is making you respond in a way that puts you in my world. Wow. Control the environment that tries to control you. Absolutely. That is huge. Huge. That's amazing. Now, I want to ask you this. I, I, I pay attention to how you coach. And 
respect is crucial for you. Yeah. Right? How important is it to teach kids at a young age to want to win? Oh, that's a tough question, man. <laughs> because you're somebody who's extremely ambitious. You made a comment, and I'm paraphrasing here, you won't beat me on my worst day. Yeah. That's a winning mentality. That's, you know what I mean? That's Michael Jordan, something Michael Jordan would say, something Kobe Bryant would say. Like, that has immense amount of confidence. You can't do that if you don't think about winning. You can't do that if you're thinking about, oh, you know what, let me just try. You're I want to take you with me to my competitions. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to fire you up. fired <laughs> up, dude. I'm like sitting in this I chair. I love it. Um, how, this, the question was, how important is it to teach kids how to win? At an early age. At an early age. I think there's a, yeah. Oh, man. Loaded question. Oh, wow. It, there's got to be a balance between teaching them that winning isn't everything, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's this weird thing in, in sports. I, I'm going to get there, I promise. <laughs> the dichotomy between being humble enough to know you need to learn and you need to grow and that there's weaknesses in your game and then being being resolved enough to think you cannot be beaten is a really weird place to be. Right. It's very hard to do that because oh. when you carry that, you can't carry your weaknesses into the competition. But if you want to develop and get better, you have to recognize them when you're training. So it's very difficult to do that. Okay, it's it's almost recognizing when to show your cards and when not to show your cards. Well, yes and no. Like, uh, so if you let's just say I have a really bad jab, mm -hmm. I have a horrible jab. I'm horrible at jabbing and I cannot yeah. jab. So I'm working on that in my uh, camp. I can't then go into my fight and go, I have a bad jab. Right. Right. I have to go into my j fight thinking. I don't even think about my jab. Just right. I'm going to win no matter what. You're I'm using your strength rather than your weaknesses. I don't even recognize my weaknesses gotcha. for the most part because they wow. don't exist when I fight. Um, but when I'm training, all of my weaknesses are my focus. So dealing with kids, I think it's trying to, I don't focus so much on the winning. I focus on the development of that thought process. Interesting, okay. And the winning will take care of itself. Wow. It's kind of like almost when you're going through a fight, you put a filter on to make yourself look, in, what's the word, invincible? Yeah. Right? They, like, there's nothing wrong with me. And then when you go back to your training camp, this is where you're, like, naked. Yep, right? uh, 100%. And you're like, okay, I got to fix this, fix that, fix this. How can one develop that? I mean, it takes a long time, but... Just that we could turn, return it back to the kids. It's like kids are going to win if they feel love, they feel supported, and they know that no matter what. So, like, I look at it from a kid's perspective. The parents need to just love them unconditionally. Mm. The kid needs to know that no matter what, whether they win, lose, or draw, they're going to be loved, they're yes. going to be supported, they're going to feel like they didn't disappoint their parents. Now, obviously, if a kid quits, there's things we as a coach and a parent can do behind the scenes to yep. fix that. But we don't want the, I don't want the parent who's, ah, you quit, you're a quitter. That's not going to work. Okay. Right? Um, and so like the development of that mentality often is, you know, I love you. And this was not just for kids, but mm. I'm so proud of you. You did X, Y, and Z. Right. However, this area, if your goal is to be successful in whatever field, these are the things that concern me. These are the things that we need to develop and work on if we want to get to where we want to get. And it's just a long process of constantly re reformatting their mind. It's okay to uh, uh, to lose. It's okay to quit sometimes, not forever, mm. but quitting is part of 
Growing. Growing. Yeah. yeah. You quit and you're like disappointed. Right. I can't believe I quit. So like instead of bashing that person, like, listen, we all go through that. Yeah. And then just slowly putting out the those what we consider like fires that are not healthy, right? Slowly putting those out. Remember I called you and there was a tournament that you said Leo may be too small to compete in that. But if you want to, we can have him, you know, go in. The kid's gonna be, you know, much better than he is, fifteen yep. pounds over. And you I don't know if you were there, you remember how the kid just dismantled him. Yeah. You know. However, my wife didn't want him to go back in. I just told the story, yeah. Yeah. And then I wanted him to go back in because I felt like he wanted to go back in yep. and I wanted to support what he wanted to do. As a parent, you start to think, did I do the right thing or did I do the wrong thing? And at the end, my wife came to me and said, I'm glad he went second time, right? Because you almost, we would have all almost stolen that courage from him. And maybe now he would have said, it's okay to quit. It's okay to stop. It's okay to be able to do that. How does a parent or a coach find the balance to where to push and when to, I would say, what, what is the word? Take, uh, pull take back, yeah, exactly. Pull reins. How does the parent identify that? Uh, well, I think you're, well, first and foremost, you're going to make a mistake mm. as a parent. You're going to make the mistake as a coach. Telling your kids when you know you've made that mistake, telling them that is huge. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, the hardest part about being a youth coach is not the kids, it's coaching the parents. Wow. That is the hardest part. So I thought you made the right decision in that moment. And maybe in the future, I'm going to make the wrong one with them and you're, or you're going to make the wrong one with them. But letting them know that we recognize that is huge. And then um, from a parent, if you're always coming from a place of love, that's going to be huge. And then it's just if you trust the coach, that's the next thing is yeah. if you trust the coach and the, and the coach trusts the parent more often than not together, you're going to make the right decision. Right. And then. You know, that I thought that day was the perfect decision. I thought that was exactly what should have happened. I thought we, I think not, I, I know we both saw yeah. he delivered. Yeah. He fought harder. Yeah. He went after it more. He did better. And it was like perfect that, that gave him, and he may not remember it, but that seed was planted. Yeah. Right. And now we just keep watering it. Yeah. But the, the dynamic of the parent and the coach is crucial. And also, each kid's different. Like, your daughter is very different than your son. Yeah. The way I handle your daughter in practice is way different. 100%. Yep. And, yeah. and the personality is going to dictate how we deal with them. And that's yeah. why frameworks are important. Right. Because now I can use a different framework wow. for your daughter than I would for, for your son. Wow. I want to take it back a little bit. At the moment that you go to that, you know, place where you're in a flow state, you have that killer instinct. You know, one of my mentors, Tim Grover talks about not being heartless by using your heart less how do you right I like that yeah how, how do you being around the kids being around the parents and then being able to use your heart less when you need to to be able to compete and train how do you develop that balance between knowing when to turn it off turn it on I think that's important. Well, I think you met me at a better time. Yeah. Um, I'm still working on that. Actually, something I've taken from you is you're, uh, you're very approachable, at least from what I've noticed. And you seem to do a good job of um, 
shifting between tasks. Mm -hmm. And so that's something for me I've been focusing a lot on is my, you know, I'm not a spotlight guy and I'm, I'm more of an introvert. So having parents, you know, my tension is always, people always want to get my attention at the gym. And so yeah. it's been really hard for me to make that adjustment. And so that has been the thing I'm working on is it's much easier for me to be in that like more like closed off and quiet and away from people. And so I've been, the focus has been to be more outgoing and more communicated uh, or op offer my, my time more to other people. Love that. And so I don't want to pretend like I do it well. So if you think I'm doing it well, then thank yeah, you. I believe so. You do, you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. I don't yeah. feel that way yet. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know who said this, but they talked about, uh, his name's Elliot Marshall. He's a former UFC fighter. He said, you're not a coach. You're in the people business. You mm. are in the business of helping people. Mm. And I used to think my, I'm a coach. That means I'm on the mat. I'm teaching. If you're asking me questions and you're not on the mat, then you don't matter because I'm not, I, I'm not I, training you. I'm not training you. I'm just a coach. Right. Now I'm realizing like I'm a people person who happens to be a coach. And so now it's like, I see leads. I use, I'm not a sales guy. Mm -hmm. I love making phone calls now Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's my opportunity now to bring you in and show you what right. I love. Right. And when a parent asks me a question, it's not because, well, they could have parents, if you're listening, please read the emails first. <laughs> but if they're asking me a question and, they, and, it, and I sent it in an email yeah. and they could have read the email, yeah. I'm looking at it like, you know what? They have kids. They're busy. Yeah. Maybe they read it and they forgot and they need clarification. Yeah. So now I'm just starting to really try the last few years to be, show them my heart, show them the other side, yeah, not yeah. just, oh, that he's a good competitor and he's a great coach, but that he's, he's personable and he, yeah. that kind of thing. My father always told me, he said, if you're young, try to be a little bit like an older person. If you're old, try to be a little bit like a younger person. I like that. So you have to kind of yin-yang it, right? You have to be able to find that balance between knowing, okay, I'm at this area, but let me adapt to this other area. I think people don't change. People just got to learn to adapt. Yeah. So I have another question for you. Everyone wants to be a champion. But not everybody wants to sacrifice. Yeah. What sacrifice did you have to make to reach the goals that you have reached? Dude. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Everything. Yeah. If it, I mean, I just, I, I had to change all my friends. All my friends, for the most part, my original friends, 13, 14, 15 year old friends, they're all dead or dr on drugs or in jail. Um, that was the route I was going down. I didn't share this, but my, my stepbrother died of, of heroin overdose. I saw him dead. Um, my, my real dad was a heroin addict. Um, my friends did heroin. Uh, so at first I had to change my friend group, which was tough. Wow. And so that, that, you know, that's, that's not easy being a young guy. Like it's hard enough to have friends, let alone change your friend group and be yeah. accepted by another group. So that was hard. Not going to the parties. I mean, I remember in college, I'd be running stairs every night with, with, a, there's a guy at our gym named Este Laura. Mm. Uh, he, he's my, he, I lived with him in college. I live with him now. He's been a, one of my best friends forever. I mean, people are thirsty Thursdays going out and drinking. Yeah. I'm in a sweatsuit running up and down the stairs for two hours, losing, Vacation. losing seven, eight pounds, uh, 
for a school, I would sometimes the only sleep I could get was in class. So I would I would record class, and then when I would be home, I'd write songs to to the class and sing the class notes as if it was a song, so I could retain it. Um, so I mean, those are just some examples, you know driving across the country, sleeping in vans. I slept in the gym for a year, or, or not for years, but for for a year, I was sleeping in the gym at certain occasions. So it would be, you know, I'm doing a clinical where i am got to be in the hospital for 7 a.m. I was sleeping at the gym. Um, there's a there's a guy who, who was the housing director in college. I, his name's Brian O'Shaughnessy. And I, I haven't thanked him uh, since I left college, and I need to, but... I was squatting. I stole a key. I, <laughs> I stole a key from the housing, uh, the housing unit. Yeah, yeah. And I started living in one of the apartments that was empty in the summer. And I was signing in under different people's names in, in the lunch, pretending I was a cross country runner because they weren't checking IDs at that yeah, point. Yeah. So I was doing anything it took to make it happen. And once Brian found out that I was in the apartment, instead of kicking me out, he realized, hey. You're doing anything you can to make this happen. We're going to work with you. You have that whatever it takes attitude. And so the, the college started to work with me as well in different ways. And it was anything and everything. You know, skipping how many family functions I've missed, Thanksgivings I've missed, Christmases, birthdays, weddings, friends, anything, you name it. I just, I could go down the list if you, there's everything. No. Everything. I know what the listeners are going to think. Was it worth it? Absolutely. I'd and would you do it again? hundred times over. Wow. I'd probably sacrifice more if I could. Wow. 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 That's crazy. Now, let me ask you this. Based on your extensive experience of high performers and your understanding of what it takes to be a winner, who would you place on your Mount Rushmore of the best fighters and why? Demetrius Johnson. Go ahead. Because he's... The, he has the balance that I didn't have. He he seems like he can be a killer, and then he also seems like a very jovial and kind and loving guy. Mm. And it's I he I don't know him when he was young, but he seemed to have that for a long time, mm. and that was something I struggled with at a young younger age. Where now I feel like I can I can balance those things. Um, uh, you know, that to me is everything. Being able to be that absolute killer. Yeah. And then be as gentle and kind as possible. Wow. So I think he's one of those guys. Uh, George St. Pierre, same thing. Uh, just an incredible fighter, but also so intelligent and so kind and respectful. Right. Uh, I'm not drawn to the Conor McGregor's. Yeah. I'm not drawn to the that kind of personality. I want to be known as a guy who was a s- incredibly fierce competitor, but also someone that when you... When you needed to talk to him yeah. or you needed life advice, he was willing to do it and he led by example. Yeah, talking about lifestyle. Yeah, I want to live true it. mixed martial arts. I want to live this twenty four seven. And don't get me wrong, we I've made mistakes for sure. There are definitely things I've done in my past and will probably do in the future that I won't be proud of. Um, but I do my absolute best to be the best version of myself every day. And so any fighter that can embody that to me is someone that I, I want to see on that Mount Rushmore. So we got Demetrius, we yeah. got George St. Pierre. Yeah. Give me two more. Two more. Well, Genki Sudo, who's not known, uh, but that's one of my 
that's probably my favorite fighter of all time. Is that Pride Days? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go. So he's a Pride fighter. Um, he retired and doesn't engage in combat sports at all anymore. Wow. Uh, but he's a musician. He's a dance choreographer. He's written books. Um, he's a philosopher. Wow. Uh, he was just so ahead of his time, especially when you're fighting in the Pride Days where steroids are rampant. It's right. very aggressive. It was raw. It was ugly. He stuck out in that time. I love so, it. Genki Sudo. And then another one, unfortunately, um, it's hard because so many of them get popped for steroids when they said they would. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But another one that I think was... Stipe Miocic. Stipe, yeah, okay. He doesn't jump out for a lot of people because he's so yeah. reserved, but from the people that I know who've either spent time with him or know him have yeah. said that he's just a wonderful human. It seems like all of the four people you picked almost have the same personality. Like Stipe is a firefighter, right, who serves people, but then gets in a cage, is a killer, yeah. right? Oh, same thing with Mitchell Johnson, very outgoing, good personality, friendly, but then steps in, absolute killer, right? George St. Pierre, same thing. And you possess that as well, right? We're talking about turning on, turning off the, you're, you're coaching with kids one day, next day you go in and you knock somebody out. So, like, do you think when you judge somebody being a great mixed martial artist, it doesn't have to do with wins, it doesn't have to be with accolades, it has to do with just who they are as a person. Yeah, I mean, think about some, again, we just bring up Conor McGregor. I, like, I think some of the stuff he's done is rotten. Yeah. And yeah. I don't care how great you are. Like, your, leg your legacy will be tarnished with that. Yeah. And it's, it's not like things, here's the bigger thing. There are things that people do in their private life that they're trying to, that, that maybe are not the best, but they're not harming other people. Of course. He is going out publicly Harming people, people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. for more views. He's yeah. sat, he's putting families through pain so he can be more famous. Right. Attention grabber. Disgusting. Yeah. 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 I, I don't want to be involved in that. Khabib? Love Khabib. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't name him. Yeah. I love Khabib. <laughs> yeah. Tw do you think it's hard to be 29 and 0? Oh, right. Like, yes. in, in, like a lot of people, like John Jones, discredit the fact that Khabib is one of the GOATs. Because he's saying, well, you didn't fight as long as I have. You didn't accomplish. You don't have that many title defenses. You just have 29 wins. Who cares? I'm undefeated too, even though I have, you know, disqualification. Yeah. Do you think, like, someone, like, at that level to go and have 29 wins, that's true mixed martial artist? Yeah, and he did it with grace. He's not John Jones who is crashing into people on drugs and running and doing steroids and... Yeah, I mean, John Jones is arguably one of the greatest mixed martial artists from a skill standpoint. Yeah. But I don't look at him as a, the greatest mixed martial artist. As a role model. As a role model, no way. I think Khabib is amazing. You know, his, some of his views are probably not aligned with mine mm -hmm. politically yeah. or, you know, how he views the world because he's very intense about some of those things. But he lives the way he, he lives by the book, right? He I got li you. Whatever he's... You know, whatever he believes in, he does it right. Right. And so for me, I respect that big time. I love that. I love that. If you could go back into the past and sit down with a 15-year-old Jeff Haddad, <laughs> what would you tell him to do differently? What would you tell him to do more of? What would you tell him to do less of? I would just 
well, I would hope I would. Li- so let's pretend Jeff at 15 would listen. Mm. Um, like literally you have a time machine and he knows it's you from the future. Yeah, I would, I would, I would tell him to sacrifice more. Uh, stay away from anything that would, would impact your future self. I talk about that a lot. So everything you do, young Jeff, should be focused on what your future self is going to develop into. So, um, you know, I, I'll be real. I, I, you know, I smoked weed. Um, I drank. Yeah. I got in fights. I've gotten arrested. Um, never convicted of anything. Uh, but, you know, I've been handcuffed and I've been down at the police station. And um, all those things are negatively impacting your future self. So anything you can do to stay away from that stuff, I would, I would just beg me to stay away from. I'm going to ask you a very, in my opinion, when I was writing this question down for you, I was like, I don't know if I should ask or should I not. But I want to ask because I want to see how your mind is working. Do you believe you're a better fighter and competitor or you're a better coach and supporter? I think I'm a better coach. I would like to think so. Um, I. Th- That's a tough question. Yeah, I think I'm a better coach partly because I don't think I was the greatest fighter. Um, well, obviously, because I didn't win a UFC world championship. But although I did well, um, I thought I was really good at understanding the game and strategy. Mm-hmm. And um, now as a coach, I'm more mature uh, and I'm older. So I have the the same understanding of the game that I had when I was younger. But now I have that heart we were talking about before i have uh more compassion i'm more empathetic i have a better understanding of what sacrifices need to be made i know what it's like to see young people not think about their future self and then turn into i don't want to say a failure but they fell short of what they could have become and so as a coach with all those things combined yeah, yeah i think i'm a better coach we had like 15 20 people come to the fight on saturday we're all there in the front seats, and we saw you walk out. Um, and I don't know if I'm getting this wrong, but I felt the same energy when you walk out with Casey and Kat as if you were fight, fighting. 100%. Like, it, it was the same energy. Yeah. So, when they're fighting, and you're now not competing, you're, you're on the other side, you're coaching, how, how how do you manage that? Because like me, when I see my kids play soccer, when my kids do jujitsu or anything, I'm like itching to get in. I'm itching to like being able to do it for them right. almost. How do you maintain that? Uh, well, I mean, I can't get in there, unfortunately, but it's just I want for them so badly to do well. And um, that's just, that's it. I just want so badly for them to do well. And like, I know what it's like. I want them to feel my energy. I want them to know that I'm there with them. I'm, I'm right there. Like I want them to think I'm in the cage with them. That's why I stand by the cage with them. And I, I'm right there. Like you saw the other coaches were sitting down. You're not alone until you have to be. So I want them to know, like, I'm going to be there as long as I can be until it's time to step down. But yeah, I mean, I'm in the back pacing with them. I'm, 
uh, just bring in the same energy. I, again, yeah. lead by example. I can't ask them to go do something you don't do. that I'm not going to do. Wow. You, we all saw Casey. I mean, he fought so good. He fought so hard. At the moment where he's in that lock, right? And the guy, I think it was a choke, if I'm not yep. mistaken. You know, and you're seeing what's happening, knowing how your mind works, frameworks, and you're seeing that you're probably thinking six, seven steps ahead. Yeah. What are you saying at that moment to Casey? Or uh, can you say something as a coach? I don't, so it's a little a blur, but I do remember something along the lines of like when he, I, we had a game plan to not be in the, so he had a knee injury no one knew about. Um, yeah. So he probably doesn't want me to talk about it, but he had a pretty significant knee, knee injury uh, going into the fight that we had actually, it would happen backstage, um, but he's had surgery on that knee a couple times. So the game plan was to stay out of the clinch, stay away from any wrestling or groundwork. And so when he was on the cage, I was like, I don't want him to throw uh, any knee. I want him to break away. And so when he threw the knee and he got taken down, I was then thinking like, he's got to do everything he can. And I'm whatever, up, yeah. what I was verbalizing was like not playing the jujitsu game, but doing anything he can to get away from the jujitsu game. Right, right. Going back to playing the game you want the opponent to play rather than playing yeah. that game. But I knew we were in really deep, deep waters when that when that body lock, when the guy's legs were wrapped around his body, I, I knew we were in really big trouble. I might start something, so I'm gonna ask this. Yeah. If you fought that guy on that Saturday night, yeah, what would be the outcome? Harris, I respect you. I talked to you after the fight. I would 100% finish him. I love that. Man, um, I love that. I love, like, I love that competitiveness, greatness that you carry. It's just amazing. Tell me how was Ascension born and why did you choose that name? Well, I wanted to open a gym at 16. I My coach was uh, talking about opening one in the future, and it kind of planted a seed, and I hated the 9-to-5 life, or at least the idea of being 9-to-5. And uh, I was anti-everything about the system, basically, and mm -hmm. so I was like, I'm going to be my own boss. And Love it. Then I worked as an occupational therapist. I was a director. I was making... A lot of money. I was doing really well. I was doing, I was making a hundred grand or more, and um, I wasn't happy at all. I hated it. I hated wow. my bosses. Um, I liked some of my employees, but I realized like the, I'm surrounded for minimum forty hours a week by people who are just complacent. Wow. And I was like, I will turn into that if I don't get out of this. And so, I started. I was like, all right, I'm starting the gym now. Instead of waiting, I'm just going to do it. And so I started working like I was at the time working 40 hours a week in occupational therapy. But then as a director, I'm also working like 10, 15 hours at home. And then I was also coaching wrestling. So I was doing like 80, 90 hours a week for a couple of years. No problem. And then I decided to open the business. And so I was doing like 80, 90 hours a week nonstop. And I did and that. Probably took a massive pay cut. Well, so I did not at first. So at first, I was still a director. Wow. I'd go for my director job. I would go to high school wrestling practice. Then I would go to the gym, which was in the basement of the Boys and Girls Club. So my hour, I would finish up practice at like 10, 30, 11, wake up at like 5, 30, 6, get to the office for 7, 30, and then do it again. And um, 
so we just kept I just kept pushing and then I finally took the leap uh where I just kind of decided I was ready to do it I was I didn't care I don't care about money uh, at all to be quite honest with you um I never did so I didn't care I was like I'll live in a shoe I didn't even even when I was making all that money I didn't even live in a nice spot I didn't care I'd live in a shoebox it didn't matter um so I made the risk or I took the jump took the risk went from a hundred thousand dollars to zero thousand dollars and wow. had nothing absolutely nothing uh and i would work you know little per diem jobs here and there to make money uh, but i took all my savings put into the gym and uh just obsessed all the time about and, it. and that's why i admire you so much you know i i went to so many different schools to pick for my kids oh i didn't know that oh yeah oh yeah and we we looked at several different schools, and I'm not gonna name them, um, but there was something different about you, right? And when I met you, is the involvement that you have with the kids. It wasn't let me just sign up one more person. It wasn't let me just get one more client. You didn't care. I don't care. You exactly right. And you even said something during that practice, and this is the way I work. You said. If you want your refund, right? If somebody, if you guys don't want to work hard, if the if you guys don't want to do this, right? You don't have to be part of the gym. And that, to me, that that's what struck the chord to me. That's the right gym. That this person is not driven by financial gain; they're driven by core values and standards of the gym that this place has. Yeah. And knowing that you, I didn't know you were the owner, but then I found out that you were the owner. I said, this person not only leads. He, he has high standards. He wants to make a difference. And I see how you treat everybody in the gym, right? It's respect. It's hard work. It's dedication. It's no minimal effort, right? You're here. You got to be able to operate at this level. And to me, I love that. And that's why I stand by Ascension. That's why when I come to you, I always say, whatever you need, I'm here to support you. Because I know you do it out of your heart. And I know that you are all in on this game. So. Thank you. Yeah, I, I 100% uh, have given my life to this. I mean, I've had a lot of surgeries. I've had a lot of broken bones. Uh, given everything, everything to this. Uh, I didn't answer one of the parts of your question, which was the name. How did we get to the name? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the meaning of ascension, the definition of it. Some people think it's religious because um, it is used in religion, but that's not. It's the other definition of it is to rise yep. to a higher state. And yep. for me, that's that was it. That was the goal is to bring everybody up, bring yep. everybody to the next level, bring make everybody feel like they can achieve something more. Um, and I knew also for me, this is probably selfish, but having done a lot of reading, the more you're surrounded by that kind of atmosphere, the more yep. your life is going to have value. So right. I'm helping others as much as I can, but it's also helping me. Yes. Uh, so iron sharpens iron. A hundred percent. Yeah. So that that was it. And I love what I do, dude. You started with this, you know, you always been in that location since you started? No. no. You started small and then yeah. you kind of proactively got bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, being a world champion in jiu-jitsu, doing what you're doing, I'm sure your gym is going to grow and it's going to be bigger. What's the vision like for you? What, what, what are you seeing for the future for Ascension? Oh, I have something exciting coming down the pipeline. We are in the process of 
and I, I don't know if it will happen, uh, but we're in the process of getting approved for an SBA loan. And my goal is to create a what's called the API, which is the Ascension Performance Institute. And it will house people. So we'll have dorms in it. The floor plans are already designed. The development group is already done with it. Um, we have our, everything's lined up. We just got to make sure we get the approval and uh, working on buying the land. But um, the vision is to create a, a place that is excellence driven. Everything is about excellence. So I, I want it to be inclusive. I want it to be positive. I want it to have respect. But and those are the core values. We already we already understand those things. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the, the day, I want people Ascension Performance Institute. This is a place where you're not just sharpening your skills for MMA. But I want to have an after-school program for kids who don't have um, who don't have opportunity. I want to teach kids the things that they don't learn in school. I want I, I have a I have a school program that I've developed that I haven't been able to launch yet because of you know just resources and timing. But yeah, we got to learn math. You got to learn science. You got to learn English. But who's teaching you this the the, the blueprint to success? Who's teaching yes. you how to manage your finances? Yep. Who's teaching you about the importance of mentorship and support? Right. And so those are the things. I, I mean, I do. I'm very happy with my life right now. I don't. The things that mattered the most to me, the things that changed my life the most, weren't taught in school. Right. I, I hate. Agree. I hate to say this. I hate how I'm about to get fired. I hate school. I think the way school is run is horrible. It only addresses specific kind of kids. I'm with you. You weren't the kind of kid that it helps. Yeah. Right. And so there. But look at you. And there are hundreds and thousands of kids around the country yeah. who never got to achieve what they could because they were in the wrong system. And so... I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, so the ultimate goal is to have this place where the kids are, you know, being bussed from school yeah. and then they have an intensive after-school program yes. where they do this training and then they do their practice. Yeah. You know, for me, I always... I don't know if you... I'm a big fan of superheroes. I used to watch X-Men. Okay. So... To me, when I was little, I used to watch X-Men and they used to have this institute, right, where all the X-Men yep, attended. Yep. And I said, that's what school should be like. 100%. You know, I have my own talent, but no one knows what my superpowers are. And if only I had Professor X to help me discover myself more, I would have been 10 times bigger, 10 times better. And that's why myself and my wife made a decision to homeschool our kids. Love it. Yeah, because we're like, we're going to teach you what you need to know and then we're going to identify what you love. What do you love to do? How do you want to approach life? And we we work with them. Like they're now two classes ahead of what they're supposed to be. Yep. And they're passing curriculum, no problem. My wife takes them literally every Friday is a uh, field trip day where they go in and they look at different museums, different things, learning. But to me, our society is failing us. Because we're setting up kids for just be nobodies. Like be, it's almost like a factory. Let's reproduce everybody to be the same. And we don't identify that we have children that have dreams, that have goals, and we are ignoring that part of child's life. And we say, nope, just get a good grade. When I know, I my GPA was 2.4. I barely graduated. If somebody would have said to me, what are you passionate about? What subject do you want to learn? Which area do you want to improve? And they got to know me and they put me in those classes. I would be happy to go to school. But I was 
miserable going to school because once I, I was bullied, two, I didn't speak English and I was put in a class of all other English speakers. And even if I knew the answer to the question, I couldn't answer it. Now my confidence level will go down. So I think everything is improving in life. We have the new cars, we have the new phones, we have Apple Watches, but the school system has stayed the same upon hundreds of years. Yeah, it, it, so I was watching a podcast last night. Again, I don't watch TV. Uh, yeah. I'm going to butcher, maybe butcher the, what the guy said, but this is so much of, you talked about ambition and yeah. all these things. You There's like the success seesaw, which is people want you to achieve your dream your dreams, right? So they're, they're like, Oh, get there. But then once you get there, they don't, they don't want you to be there because they gave up on their dreams. Right. And you see this with a lot of young kids, they don't fit the model of what the school wants. So now their, their dreams are stifled. Yes. And it's like, oftentimes what I see is like, it's the people who are stifling in their dreams are the people who gave up. I'm like, who are you to say this person can't do X, Y, and Z? I agree. And I want to be in a, I want to be in an atmosphere where we're cultivating that. Are you yeah. different? Are you uh, uh, like, do you have that drive? I want to, I want to throw gasoline on that yeah. thing. Yeah. I want you to like, people don't like passionate people sometimes. And I find that because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Because it makes them feel like they gave up, but they're yeah. uncomfortable. That's not who I am. Wow. I want to be surrounded by people who are fired up and creating an atmosphere like the API where that's, I mean, what you do here when I attended um, your banquet, dinner. Yeah. 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 And having talked to a couple of people who work for you, um, you know, pushing that positivity and, you know, not, is everyone going to make it? No, yeah. but that's not your job. Right. Your job is creating an atmosphere yes. where if you want to make it, you can. Here's the vehicle, learn to drive learn it. Learn to drive it. And so I want to do that with API wow. where we're taking the things that the, the regular school is, is not doing and we're, we're, that's what we're hyper-focused on. I love that. I love that. I know API is going to be huge for you. I, I know you're going to inspire, influence, and impact many lives. We're going to close it off. I want to ask you one last question because um, I think a lot of people in my circle want me to ask this question because they hear me talk about you so well and how of a great coach you are. And even, you know, watching Kat win the fight and talking to Casey, everybody has so many great things to say about you, how great of a coach you are. Give me three principles that put together makes a great coach? Passion. Passion, okay. First, no question. Okay. Discipline. And the ability to lead by example. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you. I appreciate you.